Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to another episode of Midweek in the Word. We're glad you're on board and joining us uh, for this week's episode. As always, I am Brad Myers, your host and Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries pastor. Um, And uh, this week I'm joined again by Tom Rempel, our preaching pastor, though uh, joined remotely again as things have ticked up here with COVID a little bit in Lincoln. We're back in separate locations, but... uh, thanking God for the technology that we can still do this. Right, Tom? Amen. Yes. Uh, greetings from South Street again. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We'll, we'll see where this thing goes, but uh, thankfully we already had this in place, so we're ready to roll again for another week. Uh, but listeners, wherever you find yourselves um, with this this season, as as confusing as it is at times for us and and things are changing all the time. Um, if you are new, though, to the church or or have been around for a while, you know that we've been going through Route 66, Tom, your sermon series, Snapshots from Genesis to Revelation. And we've been talking about major characters in the Bible, uh, taking a look at how all of their character lives are pointing to Christ and carry the story of Scripture forward, one person at a time. Uh, this last week on your sermon series, you were in the book of Acts talking about the life of Saul, who then became the Apostle Paul after Christ called him. Um, So, Tom, we always want to ask those same three questions uh, that you address in your message. What did we learn about God? What did it reveal about ourselves? And how does this person's life point us to Christ? So what did we learn about God on Sunday from the life of Paul? Well, from the life of Paul, I think uh, one is obviously his redeeming power. Uh, to take a, a devout enemy and make him his number one representative. Uh, it, and then I think also, just again, a reminder that he is sovereign over all of history as well as of every individual within it. Hmm. I love that you mentioned that redeeming power one. You really highlighted, and it struck me in, on, in the sermon, that, that there was no one beyond the redeeming work of Christ. Yeah. Uh, that if, if he could save Saul, he could save anyone. That was an encouragement, I know, to me. Uh, what about mankind? What did the life of Saul reveal about ourselves? Well, it's it's more than zeal for God that is required, but it, it is a it is a transformation of heart and soul. Uh, mm-hmm. So, man, even though he is motivated zealously for religious purposes, he still needs a savior. And uh, and, I, and I think also, as you already said, it. It is also a story that there are no unsavable sinners, that none is beyond his reach. Mm, Very good. Finally, how did Paul's life point us to Christ? Well, in in Christ Jesus, and like I said, Paul mentions the the title Christ 373 times in his writing, and and the, the focus that he puts on it over and over is that he is full of grace and mercy. So uh, his, his missional purpose for Saul's life was no different than his missional purpose for other sinners, and that is by grace and mercy he would rescue. Hmm. Very nice, very nice. Well, I appreciate your message on Sunday and, and taking the time to preach from the life of Paul. Obviously, with him writing so many books, there was a lot of content, I'm sure, to wade through on the life of, of Paul. So I'm sure that was a lot of effort, but I appreciated what you had to share on Sunday. Yeah, 13 um, books as well as half of uh, Acts had to be read in preparation. So. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, and I know on on Sunday you, you you highlighted that a bit. How he was he was you know really the New Testament's most prolific writer, yeah. authoring as you said thirteen of those books, and and most of those come in the form of letters or the epistles. Which listeners, that's a genre we'll actually be taking a look at next week. We'll be talking about New Testament epistles, so hold on for that because we're going to come around to that subject as well. Uh, but Tom, you also took time to highlight Saul's extensive biblical knowledge and training in the Old Testament, how he was raised in that tradition, um, a fact that's shown again and again in all the books he writes in the New Testament, how he draws on those Old Testament books. Uh, so this week, it seemed like a natural time uh, to discuss a topic really, really related to that. Um, this week on the podcast, I'd like to talk about quotes, allusions, and cross-references in Scripture. Uh, Tom, most of our listeners are probably familiar with this idea that the biblical authors reference other parts of the Bible in their writing, or at least at the very least, they've noticed that there's a section on each page of their study Bible that includes all of these other references in those little superscript letters. Um, but either way, uh, what we want to do is we want to start off this discussion by asking, why is the Bible quoting from itself or alluding to what has been written previously all the time? I think the emphasis is that it is one continuous narrative. Uh, it, it's not a, a lot of disjointed uh, books and uh, chapters and uh, contributions, but there is a there is a theme, there is a continual lacing message that's going through. And so by by citing other authors and other parts of the scripture, it, it laces that theme together nicely. So it's almost like it's trying to overcome our natural issue with maybe having multiple authors. Yeah. You know, we read from read a book by one author, and it's very clear that there's a common stream of thought, and, and we put the pieces together very naturally. But because we have 66 books written by so many different authors, it's really reinforcing that idea that there's one divine author, yeah. um, you know, obviously, uh, obviously God writing this book. Yes, I think that's, I think that's the reason. Uh, it's to show that, especially in the New Testament, that, that this is not a new and novel message that's being delivered, but it is the fulfillment of one that was promised in the past. Yeah, very good. And I, I know Brad Orta and, uh, and I talked a little bit about that idea as far as quoting from or referencing other biblical books as part of the criteria um, and, and some of that idea as well. But but Tom, you, you mentioned the New Testament quoting from the Old Testament to link the two halves, if you will, of the Bible together. But is this idea as common in the Old Testament uh, as it seems to be in the New Testament books of, of Paul's and, and others? Well, I, I think there, there are sightings of one author and the other in the Old Testament. But you know, again, with the principle of progressive revelation, uh, the, the amount of scripture that was available to the Old Testament writer was far far less. And so you right. don't really start to see it until until you get to the prophets. And by the time you get to the prophets, you know, you've got books of history and you've got the, the writings of the poets and that as a resource that they did not have at that time. So, um, you know, even uh, like Daniel found great encouragement by reading the writings of Jeremiah, who had mm. uh, prophesied and uh, gave him hope. And he began to look at the calendar and go, wait a minute, maybe we're close to that 70 years. So yeah, they, they did quote one another, but like I said, it was, they didn't have nearly the, the wealth of biblical uh, canon available to them at the moment. 
Hmm. So it's almost like the author's quotations and allusions to each other pick up steam. The more text there is, the more they tend to reference back to what has already been been yeah. put down in words, maybe. Yeah. Um, but what, one thing on that on that theme that's maybe maybe worth asking, Tom, uh, is is not all ways that the text references itself is exactly the same. Um, so what what are the different ways that the New Testament kind of gives a nod to what was written before? Well, there's, there, there are direct quotes, and those are usually either uh, you know, when the Bible's uh, printed in, in our version, you know, they're usually indented or set apart as a separate paragraph, got quotation marks around them. Uh, if you have a study Bible, you know, you look in the marginal notes, it identifies. Uh, so there's direct quotes. Sometimes there's uh, story allusions. Uh, hmm. and, and Jesus you know, asked for a sign or was asked for a sign. And uh, he said he would only give them the sign of Jonah. And of course, well, what is that? You know, well, that's an Old Testament <laughs> allusion to uh, Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish and then uh, thrown up on the shore and went and preached the gospel. So you, you look for, for those uh, historic illustrations that are picked up by an author or a particular a theme that is restated or a, a direct quote out of the Old Testament writings. Hmm. But all of those can be ways that, that especially the New Testament authors, let us know that they're drawing on what was written before, right, yeah. is, is what you're saying? Right, right. They, they Clearly, you, you read that and you go, okay, this is, this is pointing me to something which then forces you to pause and go back and find out where, what, what is that connection or or where is that theme? So uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 that's really where I want to go next because obviously we need to note that these are important, but we really have to talk a little bit more about what we're supposed to do when we when we realize we've run into them. So you've already mentioned a little bit about how um, the the publishers of our modern versions of scripture set out quotations, give us a a hint to the fact that there's a quotation going on. Um, but are there any other ways that are useful in in identifying that there's a quotation or some sort of allusion in the text that we're reading? Well, very frequently as I'm reading through the New Testament, uh, they set them up with uh, uh, this came to pass, the saying that is written or as mm-hmm. it was written or as it was said. Uh, you'll, you'll find that, uh, you know, to, to steal a uh, an interpreter's uh, word and uh, the author's tip. He, as he writes, he gives us a signal that what is about to come is being uh, cited from another place. So usually right in the text itself, there is a, there is a warning sign that we're about to run into an illusion or a quotation. Okay. Very good. So, so we're reading our, we're reading along, we're, we're in a New Testament book or an Old Testament book, or, you know, potentially even a book of Paul. And we find ourselves running into something. We go, I think there's a quotation or an illusion here. Once we've identified that we're dealing with something that scripture is drawing from previous written texts, what's our first step? What are we supposed to do with that, Tom? Well, I think the first response needs to be to pause and go back and read the context, the immediate context that precedes the New Testament usage of that citing or that quotation, and read both sides. And you ask your question, why did he put that here at this time and in this way? That would be the first. And then the second is to try to go back and look at when that declaration or that statement was first made. So you go back and read the Old Testament. And when you get there, 
it, it's not adequate just to say, well, in this chapter, in this verse, but you really need to look at, so why was it recorded there in that context? So uh, to try to understand its use and why the author chose it for here, he was reading it in the context of the Old Testament, so we need to do the same, I think. Hmm. So we have to understand, almost we have to walk through, to some extent, the coma method, both in the text we find ourselves in, and then also going back to that text that it's drawing from to make sure that we understand how the New Testament author in particular is using something like this, right? Yeah, Yeah, because the New Testament author was obviously thinking along the context of that Old Testament storyline. And uh, at that point, he said, ah, this speaks to what I'm trying to communicate here. So you kind of, yeah, you just kind of need to do the do the diligence of understanding both settings. Okay, so let's let's assume we've walked through that and we've we've done that. Um, is is a New Testament author in particular always going to draw on um, the same understanding of an Old Testament text, or do they use them differently at all? Well, the, the interesting thing is they they not only sometimes lift it out of the Old Testament context and plant it in a new in a new setting. But yeah, when you when you compare the two, you, you kind of pause at times and ask yourself, how how did you see that there? It doesn't <laughs> do a, a straight across kind of a translation, as it were, or application. Um, and then some of those are you can say, well, I can see where he got this, but they almost paraphrase, you know, as they repost it. The other thing mm-hmm. I noticed is I was just kind of uh, in preparation for talking with you about this, just flipping through some of those. And sometimes they'll put it together like it is a singular quotation from the Old Testament, when in reality they have spliced together two or three different Old Testament texts into the one. So, uh, again, they have a message they're communicating. They want to show that it's consistent with the continuity of the message of the scriptures, but they use the text to appropriate it to the message God's laid on their heart for for the time they're writing. Mm, very good. Well, in, in light of that, that there's kind of these two different ways that, that they can be used, do you have any practical tips for our listeners as they've identified one and they've started to understand the context and the meaning, both of the, the passage that they're in and the other passage that's being quoted? Any practical tips on then how to try and synthesize that to better understand the text that we find ourselves in? Well, I, I'm a I'm a big proponent of uh, Bibles that have uh, cross reference or hmm. whatever in either in the center column or along along the right. So uh, obviously you want to make sure, or uh, you know, there's chain reference Bibles that are helpful. Uh, when, once you start with a chain reference Bible, you you quickly become exhausted unless you're a, a totally dedicated student because you all of a sudden you find out there, it, these these pictures are so many places in the scripture that you never mm-hmm. would have thought of. So I think that's the first practical tip is to uh, to start looking for as many as you have time to of those cross-reference connections, themes, and ideas. And then the other one is is don't again we've said this before and uh, is is don't rush. To your conclusion, but give it time for reflection. Uh, just try to step back and think about it in the big picture again, so that you keep the whole storyline moving. Mm. So maybe what I hear you saying there is you, you chase down those rabbit trails a bit. You know, you look at some of those other things to understand how they're using the quotation, um, and you allow that to maybe inform 
uh, the the text you're looking at, though it may not always dictate the exact same understanding. Is 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 that fair to say? Yep, I think so. I think it I think it puts uh, it puts guardrails on your interpretation of the text you're working in. But then you have to come back to the text you're in, and uh, again, and say, so why did this author use it here in this way? Oh, very good. Well, well, to to, to kind of highlight that theme, um, I just like how we last week had an example. I, I find that like looking at an actual text, an actual quotation, um, it, it might be helpful to our listeners when it comes to practically understanding how to do this. So I I want to take a look at First Corinthians fifteen fifty four and fifty five, uh, where Paul is quoting from some Old Testament authors, um, and 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 we notice that it's it's a bracketed out quote. Uh, so let me just read real quick those two verses, and then I want us to walk through a bit for our listeners how we would go about interpreting this passage if we were reading in 1 Corinthians for ourselves. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 and 55, Paul writes this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to fast the saying that is written. He mentions exactly like you said, he, he leads us into it, and then it's bracketed out. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is probably a familiar passage. This is one that oftentimes get quoted. Um, So Tom, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. What is the first thing we do here with this quote in 54 and 55? Well, the first thing that that I thought of as I'm I'm reading through it is to ask the question again, where, where did this quote come from? And uh, so going back, you know, it's Isaiah 25, 8, which is actually the prestige plate on my family car. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and then also that was picked up another time in Revelation seven seventeen, And then but the second half of it was from the book of Hosea, 13th chapter. So you, you've got those two things. That's the first. And then again, going back to the context of the letter and uh, and Paul has been. Actually, it's a letter of, of reproof and correction for a church, and he's had to deal with a lot of sin issues and attitudinal issues and all. And so you go, so so why is he wrapping up the letter on this theme that death is swallowed up in victory? And, and so you, you step back and ask yourself the question. One, he said when he got to Corinth, he said, I determined that I would know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So then you look at it comes to Corinth. So now I'm back in the in the book of Acts going, okay, as he came to Corinth, why did he say that? Well, in Athens, when he's talking to the great philosophers, which he was most adequate to discuss with, you know, they listened really clearly until he came to the issue of the resurrection. And then suddenly they started mocking him. And so as he leaves town, he's going, I'm just going to stay on the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection. I, I think the other is then you come to the end of the book and he's going like, you know, they're fighting over such temporal things, and he's trying to draw their attention to things that are greater than that and yeah. eternal. So as, you, as you're working through the larger context, you say, well, what was it? Well, he wants to leave them with this living hope, you know, and on the basis of that living hope, they can work out those, those relational issues that he's addressed over and over in the, in the, in the letter. Yeah. Okay. So, so Paul's driving at this this eternal hope. This take your eyes off of the temporal and and raise your eyes to the eternal. You know what God is really doing. The 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 temporariness of physical death. 
uh, yeah. to really, you know, that's the context in First Corinthians. Um, but why does Paul quote, he did exactly what you mentioned earlier in the podcast, that he's quoting from two different Old Testament books and kind of fusing them together. Why, yeah. why does he then quote from these Old Testament passages here? Well, it's, it's interesting that I thought the same thing. Why did, why did he revert back to that? But uh, Isaiah is preaching to a nation that at the moment they think that they've got it all together. They think they're all this and that. But he's warning them that because of their rejection of God, or at least making him a secondary priority, that there's coming a day of discipline, correction. They're going to be removed for the land. So, so he is he is promising them a national, as it were, resurrection after the discipline. In, in Hosea, you know, he's he's calling a faithless bride back to a faithful relationship, and again between between the beginning and the end of that, that there, there's going to be almost, as it were, a death of a relationship or death of a marriage. And so he, I think he's combining those ideas to a church saying, you know, the grave doesn't get the last word. It, there's hope. So uh, it, his, his is a letter of correction, loving reproof. Uh, Isaiah's was a message of loving reproof. Hosea's was a message of loving reproof. I think they're all comes together at the end, in at least in the Apostle Paul's mind, um, that that this applies to the circumstance that we're in. Mm. So maybe it's fair to say that what Paul is what, what what quoting from these Old Testament books is allowing Paul to do is is say what he wants to say, but even pull some of that. Um, uh, what's I, I'm not I'm not sure what the right word is, but some of that almost baggage that that pre understanding from Hosea and Isaiah. And really pull all of that into his his really his reproof and encouragement to to the to the church in Corinth. Yeah, it I can kind of be even more impactful than what he would say in this book by itself. Yeah, yeah, your, your circumstance isn't all that unusual, and and the the way that I have approached you in love is consistent with the way God approached His people all down through history. Uh, so, but again, like I said, he he gave them living hope, and Isaiah gave them living hope in Hosea. Now Paul wants to give them a message of living hope at the end of the spanking, as it were. Mm. Mm. Yeah, very good. So then what is what is the significance um, there for this new New Testament understanding? And and I would just I would just say for for us as well in our understanding of 1 Corinthians 15 then. Well I, I think again it's it's the great text on the resurrection of the dead and uh and there, there was that question of, is, is there, I mean, it, it almost ties into the, the Thessalonians on the trumpet sound as well. So I think just the whole story to the Corinthians that this life is not the end of God's story and that death is ultimately defeated. It will ultimately be swallowed up in victory. So therefore, press on. And then very quickly then, He's going to just exhort them in light of that, you know, therefore be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So I think he's he's ramping it up to the end of his letter, running out, as it were, of papyrus, <laughs> mm. bringing it to the end. He's just trying to say to the church, with all of these things that needed to be addressed and corrected, press on, you know. Mm. What a... What a relevant message to First Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, but a, a relevant message to us as well in the season we find ourselves in yeah. today. 
Well, t- let me see if I can summarize a bit of what we've said here, Tom, for our listeners. Uh, the first thing to remember is that these quotes and allusions and themes are everywhere throughout Scripture. The, the biblical authors are trying to tie together what story is being told, and they reference each other to build the strength not only of their individual arguments, but also our reliance on the fact that there's one divine author writing this book, and it wasn't written accidentally. And when you see those those things that tie together books, it's it's intentional. And the Holy Spirit was divinely inspiring that. But when it comes to actually practically understanding these quotes, these allusions as we run into them, uh, we have to understand and we have to do a little bit of double work uh, when we find ourselves with a quote or allusion. We've got to understand the context, observe it, determine the meaning and application of the text we're in. But it also is really informative to go back and look at the passages um, that that author is quoting from and, and kind of work through coma briefly for those as well, remembering to, to kind of bring some of that into our understanding of why, why it was quoted and, and why the author was trying to convey the message they were conveying, though not always is it used in exactly the same way as the book that they're quoting from. Um, in the Bible, so hopefully, listeners, that gives us gives you a sense uh, for some of some of the right way to approach this. You're going to run into quotes and allusions all throughout Scripture, um, and, and and it's helpful to understand a bit how do we understand those. Uh, Tom, any any final thoughts on this subject before we wrap up and look forward to next week's message? Well, I think two things. One, you mentioned it. Uh, we should always be looking for authors' intent. Uh, the Spirit of God inspired them, spoke through them. What was the message they were trying to communicate? Not what do I want to hear, but what did they want me to hear? And then I think the second is just continually struggle to discover the storyline of Scripture. What you're reading stands in the context of the narrative of redemption as unfolded in the Word. And so uh, just constantly be looking for how does this fit in the unfolding story? Hmm. Good encouragement. And listeners, that's precisely uh, the reason that we're doing the sermon series that we've been walking through, Genesis through Revelation, in an effort to help us all understand how the Bible is put together and how it's one big story that all points to Christ. And Tom, this coming Sunday, you're, we're getting toward the end of your Route 66 sermon series. We've just got a few more characters in the New Testament to look at, but this Sunday you're looking at Paul's two mentees or protégés, if you will, in the person of Timothy and Titus. What are you looking forward to speaking from, from their lives? Well, the, the reason that we slotted them in is that in the Old Testament, we were looking forward to the promised Christ, not quite understanding the great expectation we had three that were contemporaries with him, and they pointed to the one that was there among them and said, that is the Lamb of God. That is that is the glory of God in the flesh. And then you have Paul pointing backward and saying, you know, like I said before, 373 times, that's the Christ. That's the one we were looking for. So this is exciting because now we move to the next generation and uh, really the cessation plan of Paul. How do we keep the message clear? How do we keep pointing to Christ as we hand the baton of mission to the next? And so Timothy and Titus are the are the role models of how that's being done. Hmm. Very good. What I've entrusted to you, pass on to faithful men who will in turn trust, entrust it to others. Very good. What about interpretive questions? Anything you're wrestling with from the life of Timothy and Titus? Well, mostly in, in their cases, it's probably an unanswered question. But that is, why did God not choose to recreate another Paul. 
Timothy and Titus are unique individuals, but even as the combined team, they are not what Paul was. So just kind of asking, uh, why, why did God say in this season, it's this kind of thing, but the next season we'll do that. So uh, don't know that I'll resolve that, but that's where I'm, that's where I'm using. <laughs> <laughs> At the very least, embracing the reality of different gifts given um, <laughs> by Christ for his church. Um, thirdly, how can we prepare our hearts for this message? Well, in, in these two stories, there is a word of encouragement for the young and the old alike. There, there's encouragement for grandmas. There's encouragement for single moms. Uh, there, there's encouragement for older men to mentor and disciple young men. There's encouragement for young men that get frustrated in the waiting to be liberated and released to ministry. So uh, as, as the Spirit of God helps put the sermon together, I think you'll find it there is a word of encouragement and challenge to everybody. Hmm. Hopefully a good reminder of the multi-generational nature of the church in this week's message. Yeah. Well, Tom, we'll look forward to that. And listeners, if uh, you aren't able to join us in person on Sunday morning, we'd encourage you to check out our live stream. Don't miss Tom's sermon on Timothy and Titus this Sunday. And thank you for joining us this week on the podcast. Remember, if you're following along in the weekly reading to get ready for Tom's message this Sunday, take a look at Acts 16. And if you're feeling a little extra ambitious, feel free to take the time to read through both First and Second Timothy and Titus. I know it sounds like a whole lot, but it's only 13 short chapters, and it would really inform your understanding of those two individuals uh, for Tom's message on Sunday. And if you're running any questions in any of that, as always, just send those our direction. We would love to address them on the podcast. Uh, we do hope that this has been helpful to you. If, if you find that the podcast is helpful to you, we'd encourage you to share it with somebody, comment on it or like it so that others can find the podcast as well. And just know that and in the coming week, we will be praying for you and for your interpretation of God's word that you would grow not only in your knowledge of it, but in your knowledge and love of him. And we hope you join us again next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.